From 87 Lafayette, it's Coronapod. I'm Matt. And I'm Adam. It's Friday, Friday. Gotta get down on Friday. Well, we're recording pretty late. Yeah, it's almost Saturday. I think all the getting down has been done. 11 p.m. is, you know... Normal world. I know. Mid, not midnight, like 3 a.m. Um, I know. I'm exhausted. Well, I pass 11, if I'm not podcast. working. Right? Like, I'm definitely up to 11 during the week, but, like, as a night out, 11 p.m. is, like, insane. Very, very late. That's true. That's true. You are often working late. Yeah, but that's, working that hard. tends to be my own fault. But today, good day. Finished work on time. Uh, then Pacti and I uh, dragged everyone in the apartment to a online music festival. We went to the Square Garden concert in Minecraft. Yeah, it was awesome. Pacti and I went upstairs to wait for the pizza delivery to come. So we were standing on the deck looking down at all mm-hmm. the cars. And the pizza delivery person came, at which point we realized we'd locked ourselves out of the apartment. The yes. door had closed on us, so we were stranded it's, it's, on the deck. I've never actually experienced that. I go out on the deck a lot. I've never experienced that. I have to say I was a little disappointed that you just called us. What I wish you had done is um, Pacti had held onto your ankles, lowered you over the railing, and then you could have knocked on the window here. Uh, One of my favorite books, A Little Life, that's like the first scene in the book. Um, A bunch of roommates doing that because they locked themselves out on their roof. And I'm frankly disappointed that you did not try to reenact that. But you know what? It's a little dangerous, and you could have ended up in the hospital where we would have been taking up precious resources, so I'm glad you didn't. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, but no weekend plans. Just gonna hang. Nice. I guess. Honestly, basically, same. Little bit of work tomorrow, and then uh, I just got a shipment of books that I'm really excited about. Just started digging into one, so I think that's gonna be... That's going to be the plan. I removed my coronavirus beard this afternoon. You look like one of the best, just period actors. Yeah, you know, that's actually similar to what my parents told me when I FaceTimed them and they saw my drum roll for this horrible mustache. mustache. And they said that I looked like an actor from one of the classic movies they've been watching. Um... I said that's very kind of them, but that they are a little disconnected with reality because I don't think I'm pulling it off very well. Um, but yeah, it's like the 70s or 80s called, and, um, you know, I'm like a period piece. Um, so yeah, you know, whatever. Uh, it's probably going to survive the weekend and not beyond that. Should we uh, call a friend and see what they have to say about facial hair? Let's do it. Hey, Eduardo. Welcome to Coronapod. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Uh, you know, it's great to be on, uh, on the air again, I guess. I know this is no Chapo's Trap House, but hopefully you will still find it sufficient for all your podcasting needs. No, I, you know, I, this is a big honor for me. This is my return to the airwaves after uh, radio in college. So I'm excited to put on my radio voice and, you know, and, and chat and catch up and 
you know, I uh, don't don't know where you guys want to want to take the conversation, but I'm excited to you know explore uh, coronavirus and you know cannabis. That's what I do now. I don't just smoke it; I work in it too. And uh, whatever else you guys want. So we got to ask the question: cannabis sales up or down during coronavirus? So, interestingly, it depends on the kind of market that you have. Are you talking uh, legal or like, illegal? Well, so, like, every market, you know, even when it has a legal market, it has a huge illegal market. Like, in California, it's still, like, 70% of cannabis sales are through illegal channels. That said, you know, there are states that are recreational, where it's, like, anyone over the age of 21 can get it, uh, just, like, going in with Gary V. And then there are... Uh, medical-only states, which uh, you have to apply you know, physician's requirement. But interestingly enough, in recreational states, you saw a huge surge as people um, stocked up to you know, uh, weather the storm, if you will. But it ended up that uh, these companies, uh, these cannabis companies were deemed essential. So you, what we actually saw was like you know, almost 420 levels of spending in you know, mid-March, uh, followed by a huge crash and then like a return to normalcy um, over time. In Florida, however, which is like one of the largest medical markets, you actually saw a huge growth in, you know, not patients necessarily, there was about a 4% increase in patients month over month, but um, like the amount bought or like the total money spent, I think was 25% higher in, you know, the month of March than in the month of February, which was a lot higher than last year. So, yeah, you know, people need their, their comforts to get through these difficult times of, you know what, almost 20% unemployment. Things it, are getting crazy, huh? It's, uh, I've been doing some work on dairy alternatives, and it's good to know that the medical marijuana market in Florida and the market for oat milk in New York City have, uh, have similar driving forces with everyone stocking up. So I'm curious, what exactly do you do in the cannabis industry? Man, that's a great question. Um, what do I do? I am a quote-unquote analyst for a quote-unquote venture capital fund. Um, but it's really more of a merchant bank. It's like a small uh, family office type setup with um, two um, partners, you know, one of the partners used to do trading in Chicago, um, and they made a bunch of money in volatility derivatives. Is a good friend from college, helped out with operations, and now is part of the partner of this cannabis fund. And uh, they got into cannabis because in 2013, uh, Illinois happened to go legal for medicinal purposes. And so they had new people who were buying for the licenses. It's what we call a limited license state. Um, just because there are states like California where it's basically the wild, wild west, you know, anyone can, you know, get a license and do whatever. And then there's places that are way more regulated, like Illinois, where you basically have to be vertically integrated and um, have to get a lot of, you know, okay from the government and work hand in glove with the government and opening up different grows and different, you know, retail um, dispensaries. And so, long story short, um, they invested in this one company. That's now, you know, one of the best, biggest MSOs in uh, the United States. Um, and they've just been investing. And now I'm here to help kind of like 
operation, operationalize the fund. You know, they were kind of just doing syndicate deals on a uh, company by company basis. And now I'm here to like organize their contacts and basically do what I was doing for political campaigns, which is like, you know, organizing and their like email contacts and emails and then helping them raise money. Like I'm doing that, but for uh, cannabis guys. <laughs> got it. Got it. So here's a question for you that has literally nothing to do with coronavirus. Historically, cannabis has been a fairly countercultural thing. And over the past few years, as you point out, it's become legal in a lot more places. It's become a lot more institutionalized. What are your thoughts on, you know, lots of venture money, um, you know, a lot more of the sort of traditional sources of capital um, coming into the cannabis space? Does that change the culture of cannabis uh, in a way? Not sure if that's something you've been thinking about, uh, but something that just popped into my head. No, I, I think it's a great question, um, especially since, you know, cannabis does have this huge history of being an illegal substance. And, you know, um, how, how those people who work in that industry, how they integrate into this new industry is something that has not been executed well at all. You know, we have thousands and thousands of people who are in jail still for selling grams when the companies that, you know, I, you know, my company has as portfolio companies, they're selling, you know, millions of dollars worth of cannabis every year. So there's definitely, you know, a huge economy and issue there in terms of equity. Mm. Um, and, and I think in terms of a cultural shift, there's definitely this idea of like kind of like suits coming in and, you know, the people, the OGs, that a lot of the OGs don't have the business skills that the suits have, you know, and so like there's like this mismatching. And I think honestly what you saw happening was all these uh, business guys come in, be like, yo, uh, let's sell drugs. How hard can it be? This is going to increase 100% year over year. And then you have these huge valuations which actually just crashed last year. Like, the whole cannabis market used to be worth, you know, there, there used to be, like, four companies that were worth $25 billion combined, and now the whole cannabis market, like, Canada and the U.S., in terms of, like, public company valuation, I think is under that $25 billion number now. So it's like, you've seen this huge boom and bust because of these crazy valuations of people who don't know what's going on. Um, but I think there's a way to walk that line where, you know, some of the companies that we work, but that we support, uh, one of them is called Jetty Extracts. They have a relationship where they, you know, um, have partnered with a local o Oakland OG guy who, you know, has done wax and, and you know, uh, cannabis concentrates, you know, uh, not just the plant, but like, you know, the, like hyper uh, condensed for what we call like dab machines and things. So, like, they're working with this guy who does have a history of, um, you know, being arrested for his cannabis use, and they're helping him get, essentially, a company set up where, you know, he's making his own wax and has his own techniques and everything, but they partner on the distribution and, like, you know, can help um, open up space in terms of, of on their floor. And so I think there's ways for companies to, you know, be authentic, while still being like well run and not you know really engaging in that illegal market anymore. And that said, I think the companies that are really thriving are the ones that are able to 
you know, bring authenticity from uh, a black market history into the mainstream. And like uh, the two biggest brands I would say that are doing that well here in California are Cookies and Jungle Boys with a Z. <laughs> Have you guys heard of either of those before? <laughs> No, uh, no. We're just two squares who live in New York. We're not cool like these Californians. So, um, definitely Google cookies store opening and watch the video uh, that like pops up. Like there's a there's a bunch of these videos where it's like people around the block to buy weed in places where weed has already been legal for like you know two years. It's interesting because you're starting to see kind of these first initial brands in the industry actually command, um, you know, uh, attention and people want specific genetics and they want people who are paying attention. You know, they don't want just these companies that are coming in and white labeling everything and just acting as a middleman. They do, you know, the consumers do want that authenticity to the actual cannabis product, you know. Um, so, yeah, no, it's an interesting so- kind of line to walk. Eduardo, I was talking to um, Alex Pong the other day, uh, and we were talking about coffee and how there are different waves of coffee shops. You had first wave coffee, which was like Fogler's and Maxwell, and it was like, you know, okay, you're going to start having coffee at home. Then second wave of coffee was Starbucks, which was there are going to be coffee shops that you go to regularly. And then third wave coffee was all of these people who roast their own beans and source their beans from, you know, this is a bean from Rwanda, this is a bean from somewhere else. And what it sounds like to me, and I'd I'd love you to tell me that I'm, you know, kind of reasonable, is in weed in California, you kind of are having a bunch of phases. You had your phase where it was like completely illegal. Then you had your phase where it was like it was legal and you could buy it from like undifferentiated storefronts. Now you're at the phase where, like, there are brands with weed. But is there a phase to come where people, are, like, want to know the farmer that raised their weed? Like, are we ever going to enter that kind of time where it's like, oh, I want to know that I have, like, Napa Valley weed or something. Is that coming? Or is the fact yeah. that there's an illegal market mean that, like, people want to buy their weed from somewhere cool, but no one actually wants to know where it comes from because the answer probably isn't pretty? Yes and yes, right? Like, as I said before, the illegal market is a huge uh, part of the, of the market, you know, and a big part of that, you know, I'm a huge lefty, and I uh, believe in taxing all the people who can pay taxes, but, uh, you know, when there's a 50% markup on cannabis from legal shops versus on the street, you know, just on taxes alone, right, not even talking about wholesale or whatever, um, only a certain, you know, group of people have access to cannabis in a legal way um, and so the illegal markets are still very popular that said um, you know there is an infrastructure that's being built out to support you know kind of wine level expertise uh, but for cannabis and like you know having terroir and having um, I forget the word that uh, describes it but when uh, you know like an area like Champaign there's an area in northern um California that's called Humboldt and now you know if you, you have to be from that area in order to put Humboldt on your pot uh, or sorry I should say cannabis you know because that's another thing too like you know rather yeah. than weed or pot you know cannabis is the the word that is being used most often to describe the, the you know the industry and it's you 
know, kind of a way to try to transition to a, a word that's more, you know, both accurate and, you know, more neutral as well. And so, you know, I, I, I do think that all of these things will exist one day that we see in, you know, in alcohol, we'll see very similarly in cannabis. There's a reason why, you know, a lot of these big um, alcohol companies are getting involved in this space. Uh, you know, I think there's going to be eventually, you know, a value brand like you know, Budweiser, but then people are going to want their fancy stuff and, you know, want to have their premium, you know, humble-grown um, cannabis. And, you know, even there's a, instead of sommelier, they're called entrepreneurs because they, there's the terpenes on the cannabis flower. I mean, it, it's the whole thing. So um, the only issue is that it's not there yet. <laughs> you know, like the market is just not there to support something like that. And the people who are really buying cannabis on a regular basis are, um, you know, people who have disposable income who, who also are able to pay the premium for, you know, a safer or more consistent experience that a dispensary offers, you know. So if I trust my, my dealer, you know, and he's able to offer me good stuff for, you know, cheaper prices, why wouldn't I still go to do that if I have a limited disposable income? So what are people thinking in the industry about the impact of COVID? Are people thinking, up? Oh, there's a recession that's going to cut disposable income? Or are they thinking, up? Oh, spending is down so much all of these areas are going to go bankrupt and they're going to look for new sources of revenue and they might legalize weed what what are people's take who you interact with so i think it's really hard to say it just in, given the uncertainty that's down the road you know who knows what will be eight months from now um but i think in the short term you're totally right you know a lot of these um states are, are really uh, you know, they're stre- stretched for money and they need tax revenue and cannabis is a good way to, you know, keep the money rolling in. And I, I think ultimately um, how it's going to play out is, you know, you saw in New York, there's supposed to be legalization coming this year, but then they put it on the back burner. So I think places that haven't legalized yet or aren't far along in the legalization process, you know, don't have enough signatures, I think you're not going to see like legalization progress anymore. But places where it is has already, you know, gone over that hump of legalization, you're going to see an entrenchment where, you know, the the most well-executing players right now are going to be the ones that have the cash, you know, to take over failing companies and are going to be able to, um, you know, the ones that are able to survive this moment right now are going to be the ones that are going to be, I think, very big players in the future. And in terms of buying patterns in COVID, um, I think we're going to see, uh, you know, this the the corner uh, pickup, you know, the what's it called, the you know, the drive up, you know, model of uh, where you just like pick up, um, you bought, you pay online. I think that's here to stay. I think delivery is going to be more popular than ever. Um, but I think you know, really, that it. it, it We'll see what happens, you know, because I do think that um, people are going to keep buying cannabis because it is a comfort product. It is, you know, a vice good, you know, something that's counter-cyclical, you know, when people are feeling down that, you know, they turn more to, uh, you know, creature comforts. But simultaneously, you know, money is going to be incredibly tight for a lot of people, you know, 20% unemployment, you know, if and when we reach that, it's going to be unprecedented in our lifetime. And... You know, I don't know how what companies are going to be able to survive 
you know, through this kind of, you know, potential, you know, demand shock. It said, you know, people, even on the margins, you know, are spending their, their money on cannabis. There was actually a report that came out about how cannabis sales were up on the day that the first round of uh, COVID, uh, the Trump bucks went out. Um, people were using that Trump bucks money for weed. So that's my long way of saying, I think weed is here to stick around, but a lot of like, people are going to be way more focused on COVID for, you know, the next few years and uh, the, the political capital to like establish cannabis is not going to be there, I don't think. And last, last question for you. We've talked a little bit about this, but as you said, there are a lot of people who made their money through cannabis before it was legal. There are a lot of different people who are, by and large, wealthier, whiter, who are now making their money through cannabis that it's becoming legal. What do you think the obligation of folks, frankly, in positions like the one you're in, to those folks who may have been making a living from cannabis before it was legal, what are what are the obligations of sort of the new entrance uh, to those people who were there before? That's a great question. I think one is playing by the rules 100%. You know, we, we feel that um, the com- all the companies that we invest in, we want them to be, you know, uh, 100% on the up and up in terms of, you know, not getting more money by selling uh, oil out of the back. You know, if it uh, thinks that, you know, that there are companies out there that do stuff like that. And I think, you know, just uh, taking advantage of this moment to just break more and more laws is really spitting in the face of a lot of people. I think you need to try to play a fair game. So that's one. But two, more pressingly, is doing things to actually pay back to those communities and to support those communities. I think in an ideal world, you know, you, you would see um, cities on a, uh, or states um, open up cannabis collectives where, you know, formerly incarcerated or recently, you know, discharged folks who were arrested can become members of worker cooperatives that would raise cannabis, that would produce it. You know, you could maybe see something like you would see in Canada where there are government-owned shops that sell the cannabis. You know, I think in an ideal world, you see a lot more of a, you know, regulatory touch and a lot more of a constricted playing environment in terms of like who could really get involved um, but I think that ultimately goes to funding and the big problem is, is that you know a lot of these um, municipalities are really happy to take cannabis money but they don't want to you know give or support these uh, companies with like tax rebates and stuff just because that potentially could threaten other sources of funding so I, I don't know. I think I think it's uh, you know there's an interesting balance because the industry definitely needs money. You know they're cash strapped. You know there's no federal banking, and so you know investors stepping in is providing liquidity. You know to these companies, liquidity. I hate that word. They're just providing money to these people. <laughs> and um, do I think that's the best way to go forward? Maybe not, but it is the only way that states are going forward, it is the infrastructure that's set up now, and I think the obligation for the companies that are being successful is to pay it forward and to actively engage the people who have been incarcerated and to be, um, you know, putting uh, a lot of energy and efforts into
to um, things like the Last Prisoner Project, which is a nonprofit which is trying to, you know, uh, fight the uh, you know war on drugs and uh, get a lot of people out of jail. So I think there's a lot that needs to be done. Um, it doesn't, you know, none of this will ever ameliorate this huge contradiction that you know people are making millions and millions of dollars while they are people who are and will be felons for the rest of their lives for selling, you know, $10, $25 worth of uh, cannabis, you know. So it's, it's a hard question, man. Well, Eduardo, thank you so much for taking some time to speak with us and our singles and singles of listeners. Um, I hope you have a lovely weekend, and uh, if you choose to, uh, you know, partake in the... Uh, in the marijuana that uh, I hope it's provided to you in a accessible, affordable, and uh, safe manner. Well, thank you so much, Adam. I really appreciate it. It's been great to be on. I hope some of this is edited, but I'm excited to listen to this, you know, in the future. I have bad um, news for you. <laughs> we're going we're, we're to hang up with you, play our closing song, and post it to Spotify. So... Thanks for coming. Hope That's to have beautiful. you back on the show soon. Is Thanks, this episode Eduardo. 50? Uh, no, episode 49. 41. 41 only? Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you were about to be the last episode in season two, in season one, but you're not. So thanks so much, Eduardo. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Thanks. All right. I think that's our cue. Man, I'm tired. I got to go to bed. Sting one. This has been Chronopod. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay healthy. Coronapod is brought to you by Momo the Cat. Follow her at Momo underscore is underscore a underscore cat.